Benny and the Jets. No. This actually sounds great. It sounds ex it sounds like Michael Conrad. Is this Michael Conrad? Dear listener, welcome to the show. What show? Viral! Gosh, we're back. Hey, Linz. Hi, Megan. What's happening? Well, we're we're recording a podcast, which is great. Oh, um, yes. You and I have been traveling and out of town. Out and about. But we're back. Yes, sir. And I'm really happy because we have we have a really great episode coming up for everybody. And it's it's an interesting one because it's not anti-fatness. <laughs> yes. We we're, have we know other things. Yeah, we're we're going to take a little detour. Actually, you know, this show is about detours. Mm. You know? Detorious. This, oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. So yeah, thank you so much for coming back and coming to listen to us, dear listener, and we're going to start this uh crazy train with our favorite segment, which is all about that Yankee candle. Yankee candle. Welcome, dear listener, to the best smelling podcast. That's right. Out there. That's right. So today we have what I believe will be a surprise featured fragrance. Ooh, okay. Okay. So hear me out. We live in Florida. Yeah. For folks who don't know, the summer in Florida is a whole swampy, terrible vibe. It's horrendous. It is terrible. And in addition to maybe dying in a hurricane, which could totally or happen. Or malaria. You guys, we have, we have cases of malaria here now. This is where we're at in this state. Or also malaria or being uh, the first place that actually sinks in yeah. the continental United yeah. States. Okay, so apart from all that, it's just really, really hot. But, or and, Ooh, yeah. one of, I believe, the more positive more positive, not po- more, po- <laughs> more just positive, marginally less terrible yeah. things about the summer is that you get these cloudy, rainy days that yeah. are kind of dark. And here's the thing in Florida, cozy does not exist. No. There is not a cozy <laughs> no. being from Michigan. We get cozy, yeah. right? You're like hunker down. So in the summer in Florida, you actually can get these dark, gloomy days that make me feel kind of cozy. Yeah. And it is a welcome reprieve. Yeah. From the unrelenting hellfire of the sun. Oh, it is so true. And so today, our featured fragrance is Cider House. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Which is a warm autumnal fragrance yeah. that I think pairs nicely with a pseudo cozy Florida summer vibe. I think you're right. And it's actually just making me think about how much I want an unpasteurized apple cider Ooh. from my local orchard. Yeah, right just now. full of pulpy bits. Yeah. Murky. Yeah, that you let it sit for a minute. It's yeah. just gonna get funky. Mm. So tell me about this, uh tell me about the, the notes. Okay, top note, initial impression, bougie apple. Oh. And golden honey. Golden honey? Yeah. Yeah. Not just honey. No, not amber, it's too dark. Golden. Ambrosia. Umbrella of the gods. That's exactly right. Yeah. The main body of the candle, the mid note, cinnamon bark, oh, clove and nutmeg. Oh, my favorite scent. I know you like that. And yeah. the final lingering essence of the candle, clove bud, cedar wood, which is redemptive in this whole kind of sweet vibe, and vanilla. Yeah. 
get right? the vanilla again. Yeah, no, it does actually smell really. Yeah, it's very spicy and warm. And yeah, you're right. During those times where there's a nice little, we call them, you know, afternoon storms. Mm-hmm. They come at the same time yep. every day because it's so hot. You know, the, the sky weeps. The sky weeps. It's like, ooh, God, we're sweating. <laughs> and then it sweats around, you know, three, four o'clock. Yep. It, it really, you're right. It, it can really help me go to a different space where I'm not like, I'm in the armpit of the United States yeah. and we're all just sweating together. Yep. That's right. a great. Yankee Thank Candle Corner. Yes. Cider Wood. Check it out. Cider Wood. Awesome. Sweet. So oh, Megan, Cider House. Sorry, cider. Yankee. Oh, Ooh, well. Mm. All right. S- Yankee Candle Fragrance Cider House. Check it out. Nice. <clears throat> So what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about science. Wow. Broad. Broad. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just an hour episode about science. Uh, yes. Yeah. Not all of science, just specific parts of science. Yes. So this topic came to us when we came across an article in the New York Times by a woman named Pamela Paul titled, A paper that says science should be impartial was rejected by major journals. You can't make this up. So, mm. Mm, okay. okay, right. So there was there was an article that was published in the Journal of Controversial Ideas. Shout out to Pete Singer. Wow. That the article is called "In Defense of Merit Science," and the article is very interesting. We'll put the link to it in the podcast. Yeah, thing, in the show notes. In, in the yeah. show notes in that we do. Notes. So anybody who's interested can definitely go read it. But I think it's kind of a placeholder for a bigger. I don't know if debate's the right word, but conversation in science about how we can, like what role, I I hate even to use this word, but like identity politics or wokeness or basically just an understanding of social justice, right? The broader context of science, what role that has in existing academia and the kind of liberal foundation of how we do science in the United States. Interesting. So we're going to use this article and I'm going to set up two kind of quote sides okay which the article kind of brings to bear i don't know that these this is a true kind of dichotomy of thought never really is i was just gonna say like is there truly a dichotomy when we talk about topics or like when you're really debating it's it's never gonna be equal yeah oh my gosh we're already getting into it because (sighs) we're already saying things aren't fair oh my god (laughs) my feelings are hurt yeah Um, Okay, so on one side, the authors, and I think lots of people on the more experienced, we'll say, side of science, the people who have been doing it for the the most (laughs) decades, right, is this what they call kind of the the meritocracy of science, right? Okay. Or what, what they call the philosophical liberal epistemology. Did I say that word right? I think epistemology it's it's epistemology what's epistemology it feels uh, like it's about belly buttons (laughs) is that the study of belly buttons I really missed out on the study of belly buttons (laughs) I I didn't take that class but I wish I would have philosophical liberal epistemology so how we epistemology being how we come to know things the the study of of how we of knowledge and how we know right it's like yeah you're right it is the it's the study of knowledge which for some people is like what yeah, but like, how do we know things? Do you how know things because know you things? see them? Do you know things because you feel them? Do you know things because... And what is truth? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the philosophical liberal epistemology. 
right? Which is kind of the traditional way that liberal science works, right? So this like iterative process of observation, right? Writing things down, doing experiments and observing and continuing to try to kind of pursue truth through empirical evidence and a framework. And before you go any further, when you say liberal, are you talking like political liberalism or are you talking something else? Yeah, this is not political kind of like right. we are far left leaning liberal people who think everyone deserves justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. No. Um, so liberalism in the traditional sense, which is kind of the willingness to respect or accept behavior or opinions that differ from your own. It, so kind okay. of like a liberal understanding of science in mm-hmm. that we can debate things that are different versus, you know, there's there's one sense like religion generally is not a terribly liberal pursuit, right? Sure. It's very much about there is one truth. There are certain people who hold right. it and everybody else falls in line. There's no like opinion amongst the congregation about yeah. what God really means. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a political and social philosophy that promotes individual rights, civil liberties, democracy, and free enterprise. So. Cool. Dope. So there's that on one side, this kind of meritocracy, how things have always been done, like yeah. the scientific process and how we pursue knowledge. Then on the other side is uh, what the authors, and I think lots of folks kind of present as um, just like social justice stuff, right? So like critical race theory is over there. Like it's called like kind of identity politics that somehow who you are Uh and the groups that you are a part of in society, the kind of societal groups that you are a part of have an impact on the research and the science we are all biased and prejudiced human beings that bring as much as we as scientists want to think that we are objective there are biases and variables that we cannot control for hippie (laughs) okay so you're on that so that's that one side right so we have the kind of two sides one is like science is science it is pure it is pure no matter what sure you look at things that are true that's mm-hmm. it. And then the other side is this whole, like, what we call, like, liberal, how we mean it. Like, we are kind of, like, woke folk who think that, like, individual people's kind of group status, their group identity actually matters. Right. Um, and so, and again, a lot of this is talking about um, critical race theory. And again, like, we, we probably need to do a whole thing on critical race theory because I don't know who needs to hear this, but Marxism, critical theory, and critical race theory all are, very different. Are all they're, very they're, different they're things. They're literally different. They're actually different frameworks, but we're not going to get into that. We're, right now, we're just going to talk about, I think, hold space for like that social justice framework. Sure. And that there is a place for a, a critique of science from a social justice perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really thinking about the more meta contexts that science is made and communicated, which I think is fair, right? Like... It, I don't know. Well, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so here, it. here's a quote that I think kind of sums up the article and what we're talking about very good, very well. Very, very good. Very good. Real good. It's real <laughs> language. <laughs> I feel real smart right now. Okay, so here's the quote. You oh, You are. You are. You said epistemology. I mean, I, I'm really impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Second time was a charm on that one. Okay, yeah. so here's a quote that the authors are, this is the authors of this article about they are in defense of, quote, merit-based science. Okay. Right. So it's, whereas historical events such as apartheid, slavery, and Jim Crow are beyond dispute, the extent to which systemic racism influences STEM or academia today is a contested question. 
Its existence cannot be established by proclamation. In the absence of compelling evidence, these assertions are not scientific, they are dogma. Okay. Okay, okay right? So, but like that, that I think kind of sums it up. Like, yeah, these things happened, right? Like, they're not denying things, which right. again, uh, it, currently we have to give them credit for, I guess, I, because I, yeah. that's, not, that's not a foregone. Yeah, they yeah. happened. Yeah, good. Okay, so we've got that in yeah. common, right? Uh, but that, that kind of second step, right, which is I think where a lot of the theories they're talking about comes in, which is we can use these events and the sociopolitical context of them to interpret the things that we see right now. And that interpretation is helpful in creating structures that are more just. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about like the first thing that pops in my head when you talk about this is the fact that the majority of academia and research is white. So that in and of itself to me is, hey, I mean, you can look statistically at the makeup of at least like Western researcher uh, populations, right? majority white depending on the field or industry male mm-hmm. um so they those populations all are still subject regardless if they're scientists or not to cultural societal economic privileges perspectives and benefit from structural racism right and and also just you know, even if we don't want to admit it and or if we don't realize it, you know, they are more homogeneous in thought mm-hmm. than they are heterogeneous, which I just I said heterogeneous like they're they're genetics. straight genius. Yeah, yeah they're just straight genius. <laughs> no, but I just think like that's one of the things that really, you know, I if I'm if I'm listening to somebody, you know, talk about, you know, if they're if somebody's out there just spouting racist shit, I'm like. I weep at the thought of how many people didn't have the opportunity to really reach their potential as humans to contribute to, you know, the, the advancement and betterment of humanity just because they were born in a different skin. They were born with, you know, born within whatever, you know, xenophobic, you know, historically oppressed group because wow. We're really relying on, wow, I hope white people know what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean. messed up. Yeah. Historically, science has been dominated by a very specific type of person, yes. right? Cis, het, white, able-bodied, male, yep. generally Christian. I mean, Protestant, clinic, clinical even. trials yeah. are all geared towards white men. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I think, you know, that that's great. Nobody's saying that there aren't really smart cishet white able-bodied christian right. protestant men it, but it's kind of like being i feel like valid victorian of a very small school yes, it's like yes, yeah it's yes. like you're valid victorian of like three your, yeah <laughs> of three but like yeah the majority of the human population has actually not been able to participate in the likelihood that the valid victorian at a small school is going to be valid victorian of all the schools right is pretty small because it gets much harder when other people are allowed to participate yes and more perspectives are brought, more innovative ideas are created, sometimes based on lived experience. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to run through it. Yeah. We're going to talk about a couple things. And I just want to so point point this out because I feel like this is, this is a piece. So the astute listener, dear oh. listener, right, will realize pretty quickly that the basis of a lot of what we're talking about is actually science, yeah. right? 
Because, and I think we're going to talk about yeah. scientific, like, peer-reviewed journal publications, right? And, and yeah. I think that's important to point out because no one is actually against science. Right. Right? We are not coming after science. We are coming after the myopia. Ooh, right. Another big word, Megan. <laughs> Did I say my? Yeah, that's right. Right. It sounded weird when I said myopia. It. I'm used to myopic adjective, oh. but it's the noun. Right. Because that's yeah. really there's a myopia in science right now. And right. And that's what we're coming after. Right. This like singular focus that doesn't have any broader context. Yeah. And right. And, and the complete inability of science to see a broader context apart from just these like silly little rituals that that really aren't the the basis of what science is right mm-hmm. and that's i guess i think the problem with the false dichotomy is that no one is actually trying to destroy is is no one is trying to destroy science right what we're trying to, nobody's trying to take down algebra right that like <laughs> that like algebra You're is going to get canceled geometry that, <laughs> geometry <laughs> is real hard when we were little yes yeah. it was that's a given yeah oh snap you just want like geometry proof yeah. given that oh my god i love that Reminds me of Mr. White. Aww. Yeah, but no one's coming for that. Yeah. What we're coming for is power. Yeah. Right? What we're, what, what, what all of this is really is a reflection on power and who gets to decide what is valuable knowledge. Right. Right. And, and that science isn't insulated from that. Yeah. And that's, I think, the first point is that, like, science is not, nor has it ever been in the history of mankind a simple observation of truth or a simple kind of application of the empirical method to understand what's going on. It has always been a sociopolitical tool, yeah, right, that was deeply embedded in the philosophy and the moral framework of the people who had money and power. See Galileo. <laughs> right? Yeah, see yeah. the heretics who were burned, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that was I mean, that was that's a part of the kind of legacy of science, not as algebra, not as math, but science as a as as a as a holding space for all of this type of questioning the world around us and trying to figure out what is true and what matters. And scaring power structures that rely on a very rigid set of beliefs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And currently to date. Uh, the federal government, right, is still the largest funder mm-hmm. of resources. Yep. I'm sorry. And to date, the federal government is currently yep. the largest funder of research, especially yeah. academic research. Yep. Um, Those NIH grants are rough, guys. <laughs> yeah, you I'm do sure a lot you of that know. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and there, so there are six departments in the federal government. This is according to the National Science Board. There are six departments or agencies within the federal government that, control, that fund more than 90% of academic research and development. Can I guess? The names of the things? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to know if they're right or not. I mean, I'm assuming it's the National Institutes of Health is one of them, or the U.S. Department of Health and And agriculture, right? There's also, like... The FDA. Yeah, probably. I I didn't bring that up. The um, Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. I'm trying to be better about not using so many acronyms. Acronyms. It's such a public health thing. Yeah. But But um, the federal government funds the majority, right? They're the largest single funder 
of academic research in the yeah. United States. And the federal it's not profitable. Right? And the federal <laughs> government isn't math, right? The federal yeah, yeah. government actually has yeah. policy agendas and we can look at a lot of instances of that, right? Yeah. Like the CDC's like the federal government disallowing any kind of activity that would quote advocate or promote gun control oh, in 96. The this Dickey is Amendment. the Dickey Amendment in yeah. 1996, right? Which actually didn't explicitly prohibit research but the on CDC gun violence. But the CDC is very protective. And so they, they interpreted that in a very conservative way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, and then in 2017, right? No, I'm sorry. And then in 2019, Congress actually started to roll that back a little bit. 2019, Congress approved 25 million specifically for gun research. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12.5 million went to the CDC, NIH, kind of equally. So they are kind of they they haven't rolled Dickey the Dickey Amendment back, but they have clarified that it doesn't prohibit federal funding from being applied yeah. to gun violence, right? Because the Dickey Act was about advocate or promote gun control, right? And actually, its namesake, the legislator Dickey, don't know his first name. What a... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he eventually did a 180 and was again, oh, really? became um, an, an opponent of his own amendment because he recognized that, yeah, hey, gun violence is a public health issue, you know. Cut that out. <laughs> Yeah, so, right, like, so the federal government actually has a ton of control over right. what gets researched. Also, obviously, AIDS. Yeah. Right, the history of AIDS and the, the, the people who died because the federal government wasn't actually willing to engage around the, quote, gay plague. Yeah. Right? So, so again, this, this thing that, like, science has always been this liberal pursuit of truth that exists in this, like, pure state is absolute... I wouldn't say garbage, but that's like that. Okay. It's just really naive. It, in it, my it's mind. just it's factually inaccurate. Yeah. Again, like write to your own opinion. Yeah, write to your own facts. No, it is factually inaccurate. Yeah, science has never been about the pursuit of truth. It has been about the pursuit of information that supports whatever power is paying for that 100%. information. And you know, I think that's one of the things that that really grinds my gears. Get it? Get it? Is that as a public health practitioner, there's this expectation that we are supposed to be apolitical or not activists in our own community because we're supposed to be scientists, right? Mm-hmm. There's also, but but part of that really, like if you kind of peek under the surface, is a fear of losing government funding because right. what we're doing might not be, you know, I guess helpful to the people in power right and that is especially true in the state of florida right as people that work in public health in this state if you if you worked for a if you work for the department of health or any other state health agency i mean right now there is you are so restricted in what you can do it's not about science it really is about power and political theater yeah specifically here so you know, that's one of the things I remember very distinctly working in a government agency is don't rock the boat because we could lose funding. Right. Which is just so, you know, especially when you're a bright eyed new public health right. professional, you're like, wait, what? But this is factually true. Yeah. Wait. Irrelevant. I learned this in a class and I might have only gotten a B plus on it, but I remember it being true. Right. You're, you're telling me that I can't 
talk about climate change. I, I can't talk about sex ed. These are all things or that... The, yeah, HPV vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, that's one of the things that really pushes me as a public health practitioner to be like, fuck no. I, 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 I believe very strongly in that public health, especially if you look back at some of the origins of public health, public health is a radical yep. grassroots, let's mobilize, let's get communities together to solve problems. It isn't a, I'm just going to file the paperwork and keep my head down. Yeah, that's right. At least yeah. that's why I got into it. Yeah, and I think public health does a better job of, um, well, public health does a good job at acknowledging different ways of knowing. Yes. Right? Because there, there certainly are different, like, science tends to focus very much on kind of the empirical yeah. scientific method of knowing, right. but every single human being walks around with some level of acknowledgement that your experiences matter, that yeah. we, we learn things through experiences. Yeah. So if you are somebody for whom the gates of the United States open, where you step out your door one day and you're a VP with no discernible talents, the not, you know, that <laughs> the, the escalator of life just like takes you places. Yeah. Um, then you are going to learn that the United States is that way. Yeah. Right. If you're, that's your experience. Yeah. And that's and it's valid. It's not untrue. People's experiences aren't untrue. They're just a type of knowing that has to be put within a context in the exact same way that we're trying to put kind of the empirical framework of science into a context. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways people do that, and this is one of the things that I think the the quote meritocracy brigade, Ooh. whoever they are, really hate is a thing called a positionality statement. Okay, can right? you tell me what that is? Which is when you publish when you're presenting yeah. research, yeah. right? One of so whenever you publish research, right, you give an, an, an explanation of what you did, the assumptions yeah. you made, right, the frameworks, the theories, yep. the work that came before you that you're building sure. on, all of those things. One of the things that is now being added to that list of kind of cont context, contextual yeah. information, is your personal positionality statement, which asks you to list your group identities within society okay so like i'm a white person i was born a female right i'm a genderqueer person i am a gay person i have a wife like these are all groups right, right? I, I these am, are all a part of your collective lived experience yeah and it's part of my personality statement right so i am acknowledging that my who i am and the groups right the the identities that i have within society actually have a context that is meaningful within yeah. the research that I produce. It doesn't mean that my math is different. Yeah. It doesn't mean that my regressions are, are, are different. It just means that how I created the research project, right? Because mm -hmm. people are creating these yes. things, right? Yes. The assumptions that I made, all of these things have are, came from my brain and my brain has an experience. Yeah. And it, and it shapes and filters, you know, that, that research, right? Yeah. And like, so, but like the merit folks hate this shit, they, right? Because this is the thing, right? Is that like, would a, and I forget what she actually says, but like, would a gay Asian scientist come up with a different analysis than a straight white woman, right? And like, this would, this was offensive to think. And, and, and again, I think it's, it's, it's really reductive, right? Because what she's doing is saying, look at math. Right. Look at something very analytical. I was just going to say. Right. Yeah. And would does your race, gender, sexuality matter? I mean, no, not like two plus two. No, sure, sure. doesn't. But the conclusions that you come to 
at the end, the way you design the research, the purpose of the research, those all, whether they want to admit that or not, are certainly shaped by our lived experiences. Yeah. So let's, so here's, here's a really cool, well, I mean, it's a very tragic example. Yeah. A predictable example of where positionality statements could potentially have been useful. Right. So if we could understand all of the group identities that exist in research. So this is about um, oximity measurement, the pulse oximeters. Oh, it was like oximity. Okay. But okay. Pulse oximetry. Okay. Dude, my word game. You you are really killing it. It's magical. Yeah. It's like my world. They they need to hire you for the New York Times crossword. (gasps) What if Will Short just called me and was like, I fangirl so hard. Right. Okay. So pulse ox reading. So most people have seen those little thingy Mm -hmm. things, plastic things that the doctors put on your finger. Especially during COVID. Especially during COVID. Those are called pulse ox meters. Mm -hmm. Pulse ox, they measure the percentage of oxygen in your blood. Yep. Which during something like COVID, I feel like all of us got a lot of information about what percent oxygen (laughs) your blood should have, right? Because that was one of the clinical markers. Like if your blood ox level drops too low, you actually need to be in a different care plan if you have COVID, right? So again, having an accurate understanding of your blood oxygen level is really important. So it turns out, and this was actually a a research article published uh, in the Journal Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, in December of 2020. So lots of data about pulse ox measurements. During a time where it was needed. (laughs) Yeah, and it turns out that pulse oximeters, the little finger ones, actually do a very... Pulse oximeters, the little ones on your fingers, don't do as good a job on people with melanin in their skin. Black and brown folks who have higher levels of melanin, there is something about that that messes up the reading of the pulse oximeters. And that's, a, that's a pretty significant right? like, uh, thing. Tell me you don't know any black people without telling me you don't know any yeah, black yeah. people. <laughs> you, you, you push one of the most pervasive, ubiquitous, durable medical equipment pieces. Yeah. And you literally didn't test it on any black folk. Right. And then COVID hit and it disproportionately impacts black and brown people. Yeah. And this is what, so this was the result of the article is like the pulse oximetry readings with Mm -hmm. those little finger things miss low blood oxygen levels three times (gasps) more frequently among black patients than white patients. That's significant. Okay. So like think like just do the little thought exercise of what would have happened if there was some sort of framework in science, not in math, not in the, the does the machine work on white, right. in the context of doing research and development for a piece of durable medical equipment, if we would have asked people, who's doing the work? Is it 100% white people? Then the questions and the, and the, 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 the uh, hypotheses you have about what could go wrong are going to be, again, somewhat myopic based on the lived experience and the frameworks that a group of only white people have. And, yeah. and, and the result of that, like it or not, is that black folks actually experienced worse health care and likely worse health outcomes. Yep. Yeah. And now this is like, so this is kind Are of... Are you promoting critical race theory in science, <laughs> Megan? Is it too woke? Are we not there? I don't know. I... Let's get it. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so like perhaps, right. So again, positionality statements being something that could be helpful, right? Like, and again, it's not a silver bullet, right? The point is not like positionality statements stop racism or they stop, you know, 
the industrial medical complex from causing harm to black bodies. Nobody's saying that. Right. It's just <laughs> yeah. it's just a part, right, of, yeah. of something that could make science more self-reflective. Right. right. Where are the gaps that 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 this yeah. and it's not because it's not science, it's scientists, it's individual human beings. Right. I don't think anybody did that on purpose. I was just going to say that. Right. I, like, exactly. But that's again, it's implicit bias, prejudice, that kind of thing that informs, again, like what we talked about, research design and methodology. Right. Like, are we testing it on different people? You know, whether. I mean, and I can already hear like, oh, yeah, you know, we had different age groups, we had men and women, you know, but then it was like, but it shouldn't matter about race because that's a social construct. Well, you know, yes, race is a social construct, but let's also talk about melanin. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. This is actually not a social construct. This is this is yeah. a way that that people in black bodies have different needs. Yeah. Right. Because blackness has because because melanin actually isn't lethal right, right. that we have no yes. evidence to support nope. the fact that like right. melanin is what's causing people to die right. right it is really like we aren't calibrating medical equipment to treat black bodies yeah right we're, we're we're creating this equipment to treat white bodies and then black people are getting what they get yeah hope it works oh yeah that's a great example yeah so again positionality statements something that I think the, the, the traditional kind of merit-based science crew is really pissed off about because, again, the social construct of race doesn't change what the data says. Yeah. And the context of that is, is obviously vast. So that's one, that's one yeah. thing. Positionality statements. Okay. It's doing? not hurting. Any, like my thing is like, it's not hurting anybody by saying, hey, this is who I am and it may or may not have, you know, it may or may not inform how I do science. Yeah. Although I, th I, th I think that they feel, they do feel that they are hurt by it. I think that all of this. That those uh, white people are Yes, hurt I, by absolutely. It? Yeah. I think this is a, a defensive space, right? And, and a defense of, I am able to do this work, right? Like how dare you say that my, who, the things that quote, I have no control over, right? This like victim thing. Like, how dare you say that my science is somehow, my research is somehow not as good or not viable or limited in literally any way because of these, uh, they're not all immutable characteristics, but because right. of these groups that I participate with in society. I yeah. actually, I think it is deeply rooted in a fear of harm and, and, and right. And, and an erosion of the unilateral power, right. Yeah. That has been experienced. I'm just like, I mean, I can't roll my eyes hard enough. And also, I just think, y'all, we all have to write a limitations part in these freaking papers. So why is it not, you know, why can't we just extend that to, hey, there's limitations and even, you know, the things that we're not even aware of when we think about, you know, our own world uh, perspectives and our lived experiences. And you're right. I, I. It's interesting because it also kind of gets to this point of like, well, I'm a scientist, so I'm, you know, I, I can be apolitical. I, I can, you know, I'm not privileged because I'm a scientist and it's all objective. Right. Which is crazy. And, you know, those people, it's because their, their identity and their position within the hierarchy of power has never been questioned. And so therefore, when it does get questioned, it, it, it feels like an attack, yeah, right? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, and I also think they have this, um, 
this kind of slippery slope argument going oh. on, right? Which is like they are chosen to defend science from an erosion of liberal ideas, which really, again, and, and nobody is, is debating that the scientific method has done tremendous things for yeah. mankind. Yeah. I mean, look around. The, yeah. the, like, it, it, it is, it, it's working. It's good. We like science, right? Like, no, but no need to defend science from, like, Megan and Lindsay. The viral podcast yeah. is not coming for your science. We are, like, so hard for science. <laughs> we are. And yet... Right. This slippery slope argument, I think, is, is compelling for folks because we are also seeing a rise in populism. Yes. Right. A rise in distrust of yes. experts from both sides. Yes. And what I don't. Yeah. What I yeah. don't think they're doing a good job on is being clear that the people who think that COVID was a hoax and that the, the vaccine oh. is a chip being inserted into your body, that group who doesn't like science is not the group that's calling for citation justice and, and, right. and positionality statements. Like the, the calls for creating a more contemporary and thoughtful and self-reflective scientific method are not anti-vaxxers. Oh my they are gosh, people no. from like within the research right. and scientific community who understand the need for good science and actually feel compelled to demand it to be better because we should absolutely be fucking better than that. 2020 yeah. and we like nobody thought nobody fucking thought to check the pulse ox on black people that's crazy are you fucking kidding and we're having this dis we're continuing to have this discussion that there is a social context to fucking science it's crazy I, it's just like it's okay here and so here's here's another one okay it, it's it's a little different but this is about again just like the questions that we ask and how we create what we decide to study so this is an article that was published uh, November 2015, and it was about racial disparities in pain management of children with appendicitis in emergency departments. Interesting. Okay. So they went and they looked at pain records and the administration of pain meds to, to children with appendicitis in a very specific emergency department over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And they found that black children are less likely to receive any pain medication for moderate pain and less likely to receive opioids for severe pain. So this is kids. Yeah. Generally, like a safe, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about controversial lives. Yeah, these are yeah. like lives that most folks are like, these are valuable lives. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. In emergency departments with appendicitis, there was a statistically significant difference in the administration of pain meds based on race. <laughs> okay. Wait, oh my gosh. Okay. So it matters. It definitely having matters. An, a, having a, a, an understanding that the, the social and political, the social context of race mm -hmm. has implications in healthcare. Yeah. And has implications in our experience receiving healthcare. Yes. That entire framework leads us to ask questions like, I wonder if implicit bias affects how kids are getting pain meds. Yeah. So this isn't like they think they're seekers. You know, there's yeah. all this. Th these, these are, are kids these coming are in an acute crisis into the emergency department. And again, I, nobody is doing this on purpose, right? No. Nobody is looking at little, right. a little black kid in pain and saying like, eh, right? Like healthcare providers, I have never met a healthcare provider who didn't really want yeah. to help the people in front of them, right. right? This is something far different than like, a person is racist. This is something about how our systems behave. Right. And the research helps us to understand how to identify these things so that we can get better. 
right exactly exactly yeah i mean and and i just when you said that i'm like well there are there's so much research about the health disparities in pain management sure from well now you know kids all the way to pregnant mothers to elderly people to people with chronic pain i mean this is a so so essentially what that is saying is that really that the lifespan that typically a black or brown person you know throughout their lifespan i should say a black or brown person will experience pain at higher levels with limited intervention from which is i just think crazy right yeah and again i think this is why we use the scientific method, yes. right? To identify these things to get better, to be yeah. more compassionate. And to that's have. why we, we, you know, that is why we collect information like race, gender identity, all of these things. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't see that there are disparities in in those specific groups, yeah. right? So, yeah, it, it a lot of it's just it's really intuitive. Yeah. Um. All right. So the second. That's second. But another thing that the kind of merit-based folks really hate, okay. which I really love, yeah. is citation justice. I'm here for, I, I'm, you know, as somebody who has written yep. uh, peer-reviewed journals or peer-reviewed articles for journals, you know, people hate citations, but I, lo- I love citations. I feel like they're just like a little gift. Like you get the article and you get this little like grab bag of other cool shit to yes. learn. And if you're if you're writing an article, you can reverse engineer other people's articles because they're giving you the the, the treasure trail right at the end. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like a it's like a it's a knowledge, uh, you know, scavenger hunt. Oh goodness, yes. Yeah. I mean the citations matter. It is that is actually an important part of our scientific method, right? is that we take existing research and we use it to formulate new questions, we create new research art, you know, processes, we look at different things, right? That's why there's that limitations mm-hmm. piece at the end of journal. And it, it, it is, it's cool. It's like what propels us forward. It's like this eternal curiosity yeah. kind of framework. Hey, I did this literature review and there's actually not a lot of information about XYZ. I mean, my dissertation work was, wow, I did a... I did a literature review and there's really not a lot of information out there about, you know, young people with intellectual disabilities getting access to sex ed. Yeah. So how about I write a paper about that? You know, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So citation justice then. Okay. Right. Is, is a kind of justice framework applied to the citations that are used in an article. Okay. And so it's the act of citing authors based on identity to uplift marginalized voices mm-hmm. with the knowledge, I love this, that citation is used as a form of power in a patriarchal society based in white supremacy. And that is the definition presented by the Conference on College Composition and Communication, which I think Dude. is just so sexy. Yeah. Well, and oh man, I have a lot to say about this because it's like there's so many layers to this um, because I just think... You know, if you work in academia and you, or or you you work in a space where you're writing a lot of peer reviewed mm-hmm. articles, you know, the game is trying to get that high impact journal, right? Yep. I I want to get into nature, y'all. <laughs> you shoot for you know shoot for the moon, right? But you know, um, and and I just think about that. I mean, it is an industry, sure, right? 
we now have scam journals that are, you know, trying. Yeah, that's that, crazy. That it, it's really scary. Um, that are, you know, trying to trick people into publishing in this, like, essentially bogus journal. Mm-hmm. And then at the end being like, oh, yeah, you owe us $3,000. You know, like, it, it's really bad. And then on top of that, it's actually not a journal that either is credible or whatever. Right. But when we talk about credibility, mm-hmm. right, you know, typically the people that are going to get, you know, put into these quote unquote high impact journals. These are folks that are at, they're already, you know, in the ivoriest of ivory towers. Right. Right. They have the access to the capital in order to do, you know, to get the most grant funding, mm-hmm. to create the, the most best research out there. Right. Yeah. You know, so I just think about most of those people are white people. Right. Yeah. A lot of black and brown folks, like, first of all, obviously, the the population of researchers is mostly white. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in academia or in the research field, you know, it's already hard to get published. Put on top of that, that you're already in a minority group that isn't necessarily well supported in a power structure that's all about, you know, publish or perish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just the odds are stacked against you so you end up going to other journals that maybe aren't as high impact and especially if you're working in academia that's impacting your ability to get tenure that's impacting your ability to keep your job so i just i know this is kind of like all over the place i just think that like we don't talk about these things like we don't talk about so when you talk about citation justice i'm like yes let's talk about the gatekeeping of you know, quote unquote, credible, high quality research. Yeah. When in reality, it's just these are the folks that have the most resources to be able to produce high quality research that's also being deemed high quality research by the same by the same system. Yeah, that's all patriarchal white supremacy, right? Yeah, and I think you know it. It's we can now interpret kind of synergistic forces right right? so we understand that there are racial and gender right because we're we're talking a lot about race because that that's kind of yeah focus on race and we kind of that creates space for a lot of these other systems of harm folks that systems intersectionality oh it's so good um and right we know that there are disparities at in the education system in hiring in academia in leadership in research and development in in stem we we know that these disparities exist yeah right so we can actually look if you have an industry like peer-reviewed journals which Which is is an an industry it is an industry which is an industry we can actually see the systems that play into it and, and we have now a way to understand how disparities at multiple levels right when those systems are stacked on top of each other are actually going to reduce right they're going to converge right on a very specific type of idea set framework epistemology right a way of knowing and i I think what's fascinating to me about all of this is that from within science there is such a defense of the convergence right as if science right like what is, what is important is a convergence to me on the methods, right? I want to understand, again, that math is math, that we, like, that right. the IRB, the Internal Review Board exists. We're not doing unethical studies. You know, we're not, yeah. that, that there are standards for how we treat data and sure. handle data. Yeah. We converge on the methods. Where we diverge 
is on what we study and what we can know. And that's what citation justice does. It's a way to diverge, right, across many different spaces what can be known. Again, it's like it's the opposite of Val Victorian at a small school. We want to open this up. And again, I think the the critique of this is that you're – and this is always – it's usually unspoken, but it's there, right? It's this assumption that if you make me find, quote, black, queer, female, young, mm-hmm. right, yeah. research, that it is by definition lesser. Yes. Right? That, that, yeah. that, that is synonymous with not as good. Yeah. That's the assumption. So citation justice by saying, no, it's important that you find black, yeah. queer, female, people who speak English as a second language, young folks with disabilities, right? That you find those people in the research and you, you talk about them. There's the assumption that that means you're getting bad science, which is right. Like a a pretty big problem. Yeah. That's a huge problem. And obviously, well, perhaps not obviously those, that science is hard to find. I was just going to say, right. I think about like, the ability to even find that sure. those, those articles, right? And, and that only changes if you have That's, an economic yeah. model to bring those people yeah. out, yeah. to bring those people to a place where they can publish. Because if citation justice today limits the, the current status quo of publication for what we're doing because people actually have to work a lot harder to find, yeah. quote, marginalized voices, and if that pisses them off so much that they start funding think tanks and spaces where black queer female all these other voices then that's actually a part of the process right a part of this is the long game changing the system of how we learn and yeah. who gets to participate in yes. that so that we can have again maintain that the, the the convergence on the method maintaining you know kind of rigor academic standards but very much diverging on what it is that we think in the questions that we ask right. and citation justice i think does a lot of that. And here's another quote from um, the conference on college consumption and communication. I just Man, that's I, a lot. It's a lot of alliteration. It's a lot of C's. Yeah, yeah. But their stuff is just so cool. It's so concise say, wow, look and at tight. All these articles you're finding. Oh man, I just I went Are like down open? a significant. Yeah, all this shit is free. Hey, rabbit hole. Maybe we should pay them though, right? Like, there's yeah, also that. Well, well, a lot of times that that cost comes back on the on the author. Like yeah, if yeah, I wanted right. to have a, a an open access journal article, I would have to pay for that. Let's that's talk a about whole an, yeah, other let's, thing. Okay, let's do an yeah. economic model thing. Okay, <laughs> yeah. about that. But this is so they talked about, and this is by this is um so that group talked about a framework by this woman Jacqueline Jones Royster. Nope, ever heard of her? Nope. I, this is great. So she says citation as a so this is talking about citation as a disciplinary as disciplinary landscaping, oh. how citation practices contribute to our disciplinary landscape, how citations are arguments about whose knowledge is credible and worth learning from. Wow. Like, I just, I, like, of all the things you get pissed off about, bro, like, that, why, who would want, I don't, I don't understand also, like, Listen, why we're mad about this. You know how many people complain to me, especially students, about having to do citations? At all? At all. They're oh. like, oh, God. And I'm like, no. It, you, <laughs> when you get an article published, then talk to me about making sure that people are citing your work. Yeah. That's a big deal. And, and yeah, I mean, yeah, to get, to get pissed off about citation justice is like, boy, bay. Right. This is all so good. I, 
I really thank you so much for bringing this up as a topic because this is a lot of stuff that I don't think that we talk about enough is, you know, especially as we think about kind of the, the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. of research, right? right? People, you know, we all want to focus on the sexy stuff, right? Like the results and yeah. the findings yeah. and all of that. But but research is a business. It is an industry. And, and when we take a hard look at how we produce science and mm-hmm. who is participating in mm-hmm. science, like you said, we are making it better. That's the whole point, right? Yeah. Science is meant to, you know, create a body of evidence. It's meant to challenge theories. It's meant to continually critique itself in order to improve, yeah. right? That the only way that we do that is is by looking at the different layers, not just the the methodology, but how we disseminate science, how we fund science. Yep. Um, who, like we said before, who gets to participate in science? What does that look like? You know, those are all really, really important contexts that, yeah, seem like they're disconnected from the actual science that's happening, but it's not. It's actually a core piece of of the type of science that is produced. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think there's from the other side, you hear that this kind of this kind of it feels like a fear tactic or a yeah. defense mechanism of like, but truth matters. Of course right? it does. That, like, right. And, and that's, I think, the point, right, is that truth is a parameter of science yes right like truth is the fucking cost of entry yeah right like things that are objectively true like algebra yeah right like a statistical method that spits out a fucking p-value yeah these fine these things can still be true and again when we when we converge on the methods we maintain that truth but that is not and has never been the world that right. is not enough that is right. absolutely not fucking enough it right. is completely true that pulse oximeters are a reliable source of measuring blood oxygen levels for, for white people, people. Yeah. For, that is that is true and a black person a queer person an asian per- everyone would have seen the numbers and agreed yeah. on the factual accuracy of the results that is not the end of the world yeah. Right. The entirety of the human population lives outside of that myopic focus. And that science needs to do better. Positionality statements, citation justice is the long game of science reflecting on itself yes. and deciding to be better. Yeah. Oh, I, w- I clapping. I'm Ooh. clapping for you. That was that was amazing. That was amazing. Well, thank you so much for bringing that uh to this space I'm really I'm actually really excited that we got to talk about it because you know in my positionality uh mm-hmm. statement I would say you know I'm a cis uh queer woman white woman um who you know has done research has written yep. articles has worked in academia you know has worked in the government and also in the nonprofit sector so these are all like I've all I've touched kind of like each of these things in different ways Um, and so it's just actually really nice to be able to talk about it because it's all those kind of, you know, back end things that like people in the, you know, people that don't work in this industry or or haven't, you know, that maybe don't even read, you know, research articles, they only hear it, hear about it on the today show, you know, uh, (laughs) there's a lot that goes into this stuff and it's a lot of, um, stuff that we, we don't talk about enough, I think, especially as we think about, scientific communication if people knew the yep. process in which these things are produced um 
I think they might have a greater respect. Right. But also it's okay to critique those things too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it so much that I would critique it. And that's a, yeah, a a hot take on a James Baldwin quote, but you know, Mm. yeah. Yeah. And that's how, so my, that's great way to end it. Yeah. I am a genderqueer woman, gay, white, white, not Christian. I'm able-bodied. Yeah. Um, Midwestern. Midwest. I'm from America's High Five. Yep. And I live in Florida. Yep. Uh, went to a, a, a Midwestern Ivy. Mid, went to a Midwestern Ivy, right? <laughs> Pedigreed. <laughs> very, I just very went to a public school. Oh, you stop it. But you're a doctor, right? I have a master's. I'm a doctor. She's yeah, a yeah. doctor. And I, for me, one of my positions is I am a public health practitioner who is working in a community to try to alleviate suffering, to try to redistribute resources in a way that makes it easier for people to not be crushed by the weight of our systems that do the shit we know that they do. Yeah. Right. That they are, the systems are working. Yeah. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. So our systems are doing this. So I am someone who desperately needs research to do the work that I do. I am constantly looking for research on disparities and how systems are underperforming for certain populations. I am deeply grateful and humble to science and the researchers out there who are doing good work i need it i am invested in it i also love it enough to critique it because it is i cannot do the work that i do without it we need to understand the world see it clearly so that we can make something better so i'm for it all you researchers out there dear listeners or all the people out there in this space we're grateful for you we're so humble to the work that you do and the effort that you put into this earth um and thanks for letting us chit chat at you yeah about research i believe is is how they call it in the midwest ivies the research the research thank you so much for listening to viral if you like us and want to promote us please make sure that you like us follow us subscribe Mm -hmm. to us you know leave a review on whatever podcast catcher you use i do want to announce that we have a patreon now so i highly 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 recommend and and really would appreciate if you would subscribe to our patreon it's only five dollars a month for the low low cost yeah for the low low cost of five dollars a month and all of those all of that money actually goes towards our sound engineer handsome sound men yes we want to we want to be able to pay them for the incredible work that they do and 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 you'll get you know pretty sweet content from the kaboom room you'll get a sticker it's pretty sweet so please 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 if you if and if you don't have the money or you don't want to it's no big deal yeah we get it we get it we're never gonna receiving positive vibes also yes so but if if you happen to feel a little generous please uh you know put your generosity towards us yep and we hope you have a wonderful week yep and special thanks to said handsome sound men at dream state Productions, and also music by michael conrad and snuggles to tofu (laughs) the studio cat (laughs) peace Ty. Woo. Oh, is he in the bathroom? Maybe. <laughs> Michael? Hot Mike. Did Michael leave? No. Yeah. He did. Did he take his ice cream? <coughs> he went to um, get food. He said he's coming back.
Oh, oh good. Oh. I was like, he's got a mango here. He needs to take. Right? We got yeah. we got yeah. shit for days. Yeah, we got shit for him. Did you hear the song, or did you just, were you just done? No, no, we were just done. Okay, I put the song at an hour. So oh. I figured that'd be a nice. I was looking. I th- I think we were at like fifty-ish, forty something. I think that, but that, I think that was good. That, that was one was dope. That was fun. How are you? Fe- you you are getting so much better at this. <laughs>